love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. What the world needs now is love. More love. Stars literally aligned. He's always been the one. There's someone out there for everyone. I'm Nancy Regan, your host on the Canadian Love Map. We are on a journey to uncover and share love stories of all kinds. He's never forgotten to bring me flowers. We're hoping we're going to give a little good news to this world. Even in these dark times, the life continues to go on. It's all about compassion, devotion, adventure, and of course, love. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs love. This is the Canadian Love Map. Well, love is the most important thing. I've had letters from kids, but probably the one that really touched me the most was from a teacher who was working with a reluctant reader. And the teacher found The Secret Life of Squirrels, and the child just blossomed with interest. And it was the first time she showed any interest in a book, and then just wanted to read the next book, and the next book, and the next book. So I thought, that's, that's so cool. I love that. Today's love story belongs to Nancy Rose, a former teacher whose fun passion has transformed into an unusual new career. Her love of crafting and photography combined to give her a unique lens into the secret life of squirrels. This is the Canadian Love Map. Welcome, Nancy Rose. So happy to have you join us on the Canadian Love Map. I am so honored and flattered to have been invited. Thank you. Well, you know, we are a podcast all about love, and I love the fact that you are sort of specializing these days in brightening up the world for people and and giving, you know, smiles and, and warmth uh, to so many people during difficult times. I think that's one of the things that sort of kept me doing what I'm doing. Um, when you watch the news, it's just generally full of so much unhappiness. And the feedback that I was getting from people from my pictures was they like to see something bright each day. So just getting that kind of feedback made me continue to do it. And they make me smile. So it, it's kind of my stress relief. When times get tough, I just go photograph squirrels. <laughs> well, I know that... Uh... People of all ages enjoy your books and your pictures, but I'm thinking particularly of children and how magical they must find them. I'd like to take you back to when you were a child. If you would just tell me what you were like growing up. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, well, I was the second oldest of seven children, so I was always busy, I guess, more as the big sister, the babysitter looking after the, the younger ones. Um, and I babysat a lot with neighbors. So I think, you know, we had lots and lots of books. But I don't think I was totally into books um, until a little bit older. But I always liked crafts. And so my sisters and I were always making our own things. You know, with seven kids, you don't go buy a lot of 
toys for Christmas. You know, we get our one toy on our list and maybe a surprise. So it would be a doll or a dollhouse. And we made our own clothes, learned how to sew really young. And we made dollhouses out of cardboard boxes. And and I think it was just we had this magical basement that, you know, my mom said, don't worry about cleaning up. She said, just keep being creative. I can do the boring stuff like cleaning up. And somehow, I guess I keep expecting her to come clean up after me still. <laughs> wow, what an extraordinary statement for her to make, you know, I because was. so many people are parented in a way that sort of crushes creativity. Exactly, yeah. And we had um, the lady up the street from us, I grew up in Anikanish, um, she taught um, art lessons on Saturday mornings. And I guess my mom realized it was just as cheap as a babysitter. So she sent my sisters and I all off for art lessons every Saturday morning. And my other two sisters were really good at drawing and painting. Um, but when the pottery wheel came out, that's when I flourished. I really liked the 3D aspect of things. Um, and, and so we just, we loved it. So art was always a big part of our childhood. And what was your relationship like with nature when you were a kid? Um, we loved climbing trees <laughs> uh, and and we always had cats we were always dragging home some stray that we'd find on the street my mother was very accepting and would let us keep them um i loved the cats i had one cat that couldn't have its babies without me in the room um so i could get to stay home from school on birthing day because i needed to sit with the cat <laughs> and my sister had had uh dogs um but she was kind of protective of her dogs because of the training and I didn't know how to train them properly or whatever. But the cats were always my thing. Um, she had birds as well. So there was always animals. The house was always full of animals. So people and animals were everywhere. I like the fact that you had in common with squirrels that you spent uh, some time in trees. <laughs> I do remember falling out of one. <laughs> when did photography enter into your life? Um, in high school, I thought we should start a photography club. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really interested in the sports as much. And then when I graduated from St. Evex, went to Newfoundland to teach, one of the uh, teachers at the school I was at offered a photography course. So I quickly signed up for that and just sort of fell in love with the whole idea. But, you know, film camera, um, you had to mail your film away and the whole slowness of the whole thing and not being able to get that instant feedback. It, it didn't really encourage learning. So I guess it was 2007 um, when digital cameras had come out. My son encouraged me to come to a course that he had signed up for. So we went together and we took the course and uh, I got really very interested then once I figured out how to put the pictures on the computer and that whole process where you could get your instant feedback. So then I was just like hooked and spent, you know, every day after I, I was teaching, I'd come home and I would just on my computer, looking at photos, learning more all the time, so. You mentioned teaching. How did you become a teacher? What was that pathway like? Um, when it came time to go to university, I was so interested in arts and making things and kind of wanted to go to NASCAD and study art and my dad sort of thought, no, that's just for hippies. <laughs> So living in Antigonish, St. Evex was there and they had the home economics program, which to my mind then was the combination of science, which I was good at, and, and the arts, the creative side. So I majored in textiles and design. And in my fourth year, I guess I 
realized I'm not going to go and move off to Toronto or Montreal. I'm not a big city girl. And that's where all the kind of textile fashion stuff would happen. And so I took the extra courses to become a teacher. And then when I graduated, went off to Newfoundland and I taught home economics for, for 12 years in three different communities in Newfoundland. Well, I bet you were a wonderful teacher, even only because of that hint you gave me about your mother really allowing for your creativity and allowing for mess. And of course, that's when kids are happiest, right? When oh, they can happy. make a mess. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like teaching and what age were you teaching? I was teaching a high school. So, well, junior high, seven to 11, I guess, in Newfoundland at that time, they didn't have grade 12. So I taught my first year, I taught sort of the full home economics program, my first two years on the West Coast in Deer Lake. And then I moved to Bonavista and taught the foods and nutrition. And so that was mostly just cooking. So that was great. But at the end of five years, I'm kind of a five year person. I'm sort of like, okay, been here, done this, need a change. And a job position came up in Gander and my husband found a job in Gander as well. So we moved to Gander and I did the clothing and textiles program. So that had an element of textile crafts, you know, everything from sewing, knitting, weaving, crochet, whatever, batik, tie dye. So loved that. That was just a terrific program. And then we moved back to Nova Scotia. So at some point in your life, your love of crafts and photography combined with what was probably a growing love of nature and bubbled up into this amazing new pastime that has become a career. Right. It, tell, it, tell me how that happened. Well, it was, it was just interesting that, yeah, it just kind of brought everything together that I liked doing. When I started with photography, people said, well, you know, you have to find your style, have to find your niche. And I was like, I don't know what that is. But in the end, when I look back, I, it wasn't so much my style, it was just the thing I liked to do. And I thought, you know, when I had my camera and my macro lens, I was just discovering so much about nature and bugs and flowers. And I loved floral photography and stuff. But when the squirrels came to my bird feeder, I thought, okay, there's a subject that moves. So that's another skill I can work on. And, and then I started to observe them and, and realized how interesting squirrels were. So that just kind of all came together too. And how was that idea born? Do you remember, was there a day when you were watching the squirrels and you thought, hmm, I could put my craftiness to use here and, and have some fun? Yeah, well, actually, it was probably about this time of year, um, maybe 2010, 2009, um, and I put my pumpkin that was carved out on my back deck. And the squirrel came along and he stood up on top of the pumpkin and he put his paw on the stem of the pumpkin. And I looked at him and I thought, you look regal, like a captain of a ship. Now, wouldn't that be cool if you were standing on a little ship? And then because the pumpkin was carved, I thought, I'm going to stick some seeds inside the pumpkin and see what happens. So the squirrel kind of went in through the funny pumpkin mouth and came back out. And it kind of looked like the pumpkin was eating the squirrel or spitting out the squirrel. And it was just, it, it just created some funny shots. And so then I thought, oh, well, this is way better than the squirrel just sitting there, you know, munching on sunflower seeds or peanuts. So I thought, what else could I put out to make something else interesting? You know, I put seeds in a coffee cup and I put that out. Thought, well, that's kind of boring. Um, and then I thought, no, there should be a coffee cup the size of the squirrel. And um, I found a tiny bathtub that was made for bath salt, bath soap. 
and I put my little bathtub out and put the seeds in it and the squirrel hopped in and we sat on the edge of the tub and I thought oh now this is cool and so then it sort of started me off on the whole process of what kinds of things can I find that are squirrel sized to make a little scene with and tell a story with and I quickly discovered there weren't many things that were the right proportions for the squirrel so I started making things and that's kind of where the making part came in. Who was your first audience, can I ask? Uh, I'm guessing that your kids were grown by then? Yeah, in fact, the fact that my son was grown and had moved out was the thing, I guess, that enabled me to be able to do it because he's allergic to peanuts. Oh. All so I couldn't have any nuts around oh when he gosh. was off. Um, so, yeah, so the whole feeding the squirrel thing really didn't happen until he left home. And then I had to be still very careful with where the peanuts were in the house. But yeah, I was putting pictures on Flickr. Flickr was um, the site for photographers at the time, and it was kind of pre-Facebook and everything else, and getting lots of feedback from people on Flickr. And so that was that was probably my first audience for sure. And a lot of those people that I followed back then, you know, I'm still we're still connected through Facebook more so now because I'm not as often on Flickr, but still pop in there now and then. Was it their reaction that sort of uh, lit up that light bulb that said, hmm, maybe maybe there's a book here somewhere? Well, there were people on Flickr and there were a few. I was a member of the Sackville Photo Club and there were a couple of people in the photo club that would say things like, you're so creative. Oh, you should make a book with your pictures. But my younger sister is an author and has had um, published a number of children's books. And I saw how much work that was. And I thought, <laughs> I don't want the work aspect to take away from the fun of what I'm doing. Oh, nice. And I was afraid if I started to pursue, okay, I'm going to make a book, that that would become work and it would take away the fun. But then I just ended up getting extremely lucky because there was a story I can't remember who did it in Halifax. And it ended up in the Toronto Star. And an agent uh, contacted me and said, I love your photos. I think you should make a children's book. Would you be interested in doing a children's book? And I'm like, okay, well, there's part of the problem solved. And I had to kind of figure out, I had all these pictures and had to put them together into a story. So the first book is kind of backwards. You know, start with the photos and then make a story to go with them and add a few photos. But that was the beginning. So I was just really, really lucky she got me couple of good publishers and and it just took off. And were you still teaching when that happened or had you retired? No, I was still teaching. So everything happens for a reason. I, I had a herniated disc in my back. So I ended up taking Wednesdays off, cutting back my teaching assignment. I was a guidance counselor at the time, teach, teaching and doing guidance. And I managed to cut back to 80%. So I was just guidance. And I had Wednesdays off. And so Wednesdays kind of became my squirrel day. And and I had had that day to just kind of rest. It kind of worked out. So I, I had a collage photo frame that I filled with funny little squirrel pictures. And I hung that in my office, my guidance office. And students would, would come in and sit and look at the wall. And they may be feeling kind of glum. Or maybe a teacher sent them and they didn't want to talk. But once they spied the pictures of the squirrels, it was like they couldn't keep quiet. <laughs> and then they had to ask. You know, it would just sort of break the break the silence or um, just be an icebreaker. So they enjoyed it as well. That's beautiful. And I'm sure that uh, your pictures and your books have also 
given you a sense of connection to a lot of people. Yes. Um, and just, well, through the books, I guess I didn't realize that there were so many people that love squirrels. I mean, I thought I was kind of the only nut. <laughs> I thought I was the only one who really liked squirrels and found them fascinating. And then as soon as I was on Facebook, where kind of more feedback than my Flickr, I realized that there were, you know, sites for just squirrels and people whose Facebook pages were named after their squirrel and so many people who uh, rehab squirrels, especially in the U.S. and raise squirrels as pets. And there's just tons of squirrel people. So I realized, you know, we got cat people, dog people, squirrel people. And so then I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Somebody might buy my book. <laughs> and, you know, knowing that there was an audience of people who already liked squirrels, that, that really helped. So how many books do you have now? There are six now. So there are four with the first publisher, four picture books. They're kind of a 10-inch size, I guess. And then a couple of board books with, with a different publisher who approached me to do calendars. So I started doing calendars with them. And then I thought, hmm, you know, maybe they'd like that kid's book that I have in mind. And, and so they've done two uh, concept books, an alphabet book and a counting book. It's amazing how it just becomes a rolling ball. And well, it gathers moss. <laughs> it does, and it surprises me every time. And I get completely like flabbergasted and flattered that somebody is like, oh, wow. So there's now quilt fabrics with Secret Life of Squirrels and a puzzle from um, a Cobble Hill Puzzle Company, which make beautiful puzzles. So, and they're working now on a, another one. And the quilt fabric is, there's a, a sort of summer um designs already on one like it's a whole combination of like a whole series of matching fabrics or coordinating fabrics and now they're working on winter scenes and some some new ideas as well we couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the canadian love map podcast without the amazing support of charm diamond centers they are canada's largest family-owned jeweler and they're proud to be putting love on the map the folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. How does it make you feel when you get feedback from people who love what you're doing? Oh, it's just, it's always really cool. I've received letters. I've sometimes amazed that people have found my address or my email address, and I've had letters from kids um, from all over, like from the U.S., but probably the one that really touched me the most was from a teacher who was working with um, a reluctant reader, and the little girl had dyslexia and didn't want to read books, and the teacher found The Secret Life of Squirrels or one of the other squirrel books, and they were reading it, and she said, and the child just blossomed with interest and it was the first time she showed any interest in a book she just rejected books up to them because it was so hard for her and then just wanted to read the next book and the next book and the next book and that turned into her now interest in reading and the little girl herself wrote me a letter um so she was you know really working at overcoming because she was just fascinated with the book so i thought that's that's so cool i love that yeah. You're still teaching, Nancy. I guess you always do the thing. You, Yeah. I, I think being the big sister, I think I drove everybody crazy because I was kind of the teacher. If we did line everybody up on the stairs in the basement and I was the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I can picture it now. All right. Yeah. Well, 
thank you so much again for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's like the creativity is just boiling over, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> overflowing the pot. And, and you mentioned that um, your books, the, some of those books are about 10 inches, but I really got a kick out of seeing a book that was probably not quite one inch by one inch in one of your sets. So yeah. it, it's a it's a scene where a squirrel is living and there's a one of the books is The Secret Life of Squirrels. Tell me about that. Well, I just thought, well, that would be kind of fun. In fact, the first time I did it was before it was before my first book was even published. Um, I was making my own calendars. I just, you know, I had my photos. And I thought I want to share them with family and friends. So I was making calendars using Vistaprint. And I was, I think my first scene with a book in it was, it was either a squirrel on a bed. And so I made a little book and I just, you know, kind of wrote the cover. But since then, once the books actually got published, I was able to take a photo of the cover of the book and shrink it down and then make a little book using using an actual one of my books. So I, I've used quite a few of them as little you know, product placements here and there in the shots. And that's always kind of fun. I love it. Do you have a favorite or a series of favorite sets that you've done for the squirrels? Oh, some of the ones that were the hardest are probably my favorite. Um, I made a food truck last, <laughs> last summer and it's That's all great. painted with a little patio table and chairs that sits out front. And I've got the little, you know, the little kitcheny stuff inside and everything. Unfortunately, you can't really see it in the photo. I think the photo for that one is going to be in next year's calendar. Um, but that was fun to make. I, I needed to use the saw, so my husband helped me with that because we were using some actual wood for that one. But I also made a camper trailer, and I just loved the camper trailer. I was just going to make the outside of it, and somebody, I posted a picture as I was working, and somebody said, are you going to furnish it? And I'm like, oh, furnish it. Oh, God. Okay. I never thought of that. Oh, dear. New challenge. <laughs> and so that was really fun. So I loved that. Um, and that was kind of the reason that I was so happy to have the board books with Workman Publishing, because when they suggested a counting book, I thought, but I want to do a camping story. I've got my little vintage camper. And so the squirrels go camping and they count all the things that they take with them on the trip. So I got to use my camper in the story. So that worked well. That is so great. I'm curious about how you shoot these pictures. So are the squirrels so comfortable with you that they won't, you know, skitter away as soon as they notice your presence? Or are you far enough away that they don't really sense you there? Well, actually, when I'm taking the pictures, um, for the most part, mainly because of the weather, um, I'm actually, if you can see me here, I'm sitting in front of my computer. I'm, you can see my camera has a big zoom lens and I just open the window beside me and I have things just set up on a table right out on my deck and I can just shoot. But the squirrels are very used to me. Like they'll take the peanuts from me. If I'm there, I can be rearranging my little props and they'll be like running around like, hurry up, put that down so I can eat that. But these are new young ones. And so when I had all my ideas and I was ready to get started again, I thought, are they going to participate? But it didn't take them long to figure out I'm the source of food <laughs> and whatever I put out on that platform on the table surface that I use, that's where the food is. And so they're going to come and explore and see what they can find. So, so now they'll just like sit and wait. And there's one little guy that jumps on my 
patio door and sort of like, come on, lady, I'm hungry. <laughs> Get out of here with the food. <laughs> Can you tell the difference between the squirrels? Like, do you have your favorites? Or I, My first book was about Mr. Peanuts, and I could definitely tell him apart. He was, he was just different than the others. He was just chunkier and more knowing and he'd just look at me and he was so friendly and he would come over and just take the peanuts and sit right beside me and I even have a photograph. He kind of climbed up my arm and sat there long enough for my husband to take a shot. But right now, the all the babies that are coming, I call them babies, they're probably teenagers already, um, they all look alike except for one that has a short tail. They mostly mm -hmm. look alike and there are so many. Um, sometimes there's about six. Usually now there's mostly four. So I think that's just all siblings from one family. But last summer there were probably eight or 10 around a lot of the time. So, and they come and go and then they all argue with each other. So it's hard to figure out who's who. What is the greatest gift that this hobby has given you? I, I guess it's given me something to fall back on, um, something for just something that brings me pleasure when there's tough times. Like I mentioned, I had a herniated disc. I, I couldn't shop. I couldn't wander around, couldn't go for long walks. So it was something I could do right in my yard. Um, and then in the last number of years, I've had some deaths in the family. Um, my creativity was stifled for a while after that. And yet knowing I had something that made me smile, um, it really helped to to think, okay, let's just take some photos, make something. Um, I remember, you know, going through Christmas feeling really low and thinking, um, and that was just following the, the death of a best friend. And I thought, I'm going to make something. And so just building something occupied my mind. And I just thought she would think this is crazy because she always thought my she couldn't understand it, why I was interested in squirrels. And, I, and we had one of those relationships where we thought very differently, but yet she was my best coffee buddy. Um, and so I was kind of making it and thinking about her a lot, just thinking she would laugh at this. She wouldn't know why I did this. <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of helped me um, because it was something that would give me pleasure. It's interesting. You mentioned the macro lens. And I thought when you said that, it really is a practice of presence in a way, like you're looking so closely at things and in such, you know, a, a defined way, it must be like meditation in some oh, ways for you. You named it, yes. And that's what I found when I got the macro, like taking pictures of, of flowers and bugs. I could spend hours and it was just a way to shut my mind off of all the other stuff that was going on. And I could just focus on that one thing. And it was yeah, like meditation. Some people will say, well, you must have so much patience. Like the other day, I probably took 400 shots. In the end, I might end up with three that I really like. And I say, in a way, it's kind of like going fishing. You know, you sit there all day and you might catch a fish <laughs> and you might not catch a fish. Um, so I might get a shot that I really like or I might not. I might have to try again the next day. But, but it's just... I don't know, sometimes it's just a way of disconnecting from everything else, too. I sometimes call it my work avoidance syndrome. <laughs> As a procrastinator, I totally get yeah. that. I respect I that. Say, no, dear, I'm working. You'll have to do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> 
perhaps oh. you can put supper on. <laughs> I'm taking notes now, Nancy. You're good. You are good. I wonder if that'll work at my house. Nancy, I love the fact that everything in your life has sort of led you to doing this. It's all combined to create this really interesting hobby and career. And I'm, I understand that now you are doing the Writers in the Schools program. Right. Yeah, so that takes you back into the classroom. Exactly. I've been doing that for a number of years. So I have a bunch of schools lined up for this year. Um, and that's a fun part, too, because one of the messages I love to give to the kids is that right now, what you're learning and what you're doing could be your career someday, or it could be your post-retirement career someday, or it could just be your full-time hobby someday. But you never know. Everything is Everything that you're doing today as a kid could be the thing, you know, that you're going to fall back on. You say, I know how to do that. I learned that in grade three. And you, know, you can see their little eyes opening and their heads nodding and their teachers nodding. <laughs> and do you feel like you're almost propping open the door? I think about putting in one of those uh, door stoppers. Uh, propping open the door so that they don't close it on their creativity because that's so often you know Brene Brown talks about art scars how mm. how children have to pack away their creativity and they might have loved painting they might have loved yeah. drawing but they just stop and so many adults say oh I'm not creative or I can't draw and of course we can all draw right we can all paint exactly um yes and one of the things that I think um I try to convey to them also is that, and it, it kind of ties to the book, the first story, it talks about Mr. Peanuts. He's a rather unusual squirrel. So I kind of talk about what does unusual mean and it means of being a little different and is it okay? And I said, you know, when I started with the photography and I'll go to photo club, everybody's doing wedding photography and baby photography. And then I was the unusual person who was taking pictures of squirrels. She's nuts. <laughs> and and because I was doing something different, that it's important to be different, it's important to be unique and find something that not everybody else is doing. And um, and just trying to convey that message to them that, you know, be yourself and do the thing that you love to do. And even if people don't accept it right now, that doesn't mean you should stop doing it. I love what you're doing. And I also think it's inspiring to so many other people to see you pursuing your passion like this. Well, I do find it interesting on Facebook now to see how many people are taking pictures with squirrels with with stuff. <laughs> and so whether they saw my pictures around the time I started doing it, I discovered there was a gentleman in Sweden who was doing something similar. And then, you know, over the years, several more came along. There were a few more predominant people. Um, and I thought at one point, oh, we got a little community of us. But now there's lots of people doing things and and some are not as artistically or photographically well done, but you can see how much pleasure people are getting. And during COVID, um, squirrel table, uh, picnic tables became a great feature in photos. You know, everybody was getting a squirrel picnic table and taking pictures of their squirrel. And that was kind of neat to see. So yeah, it is, it is fun just to see how, how it may have impacted other people, whether it was my photos or somebody's photo that was like mine that, you know, everybody copied, whatever. Yeah, pretty cool. And do you have grandchildren? Yes, two little boys who are delightful. It must be a joy for them to see what you do and a joy for you to see the curiosity it provokes in them. 
Yeah, that was cute. My son mentioned that uh, Isaac is the, the youngest one. He said he goes to the library. Every time they go to the library, he hands out all my books to all his friends. Oh, that's so great. I'm sure they're proud. Oh, yeah. And, and Nancy, I'm curious about whether you have a message for anyone out there who's listening. Perhaps they're retired and they don't have a, an exciting passion project. What sort of advice or message do you have for them? If they don't have a project now, is it because there's something they used to love doing that they've just been afraid to get back at doing? Um, or, or have allowed a barrier to prevent them from doing it. But, you know, dig into your past and think about, you know, how did you spend your time at different points of your life? And if there isn't something, if there wasn't something that really grabbed them, there's so many courses on the go. And if you don't want to go to a course, the internet is so full of stuff. Uh, open Pinterest. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many avenues to find interests, I think, you know, with YouTube videos and other things like that. So I hate seeing people who look bored um, and, and appear to be bored with their life and can't find enough hobbies or things to keep them interested because there's so many opportunities. And if nothing else, just go for a walk outdoors. <laughs> and enjoy the nature. I just want to say thank you for making us all smile because your your pictures and your books are just a pure delight. Well, thank you very much for having me. So glad you enjoyed them. Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. We love sharing love stories of all kinds, and that could include yours. So do you or someone you know have an uplifting tale to tell? Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram using at Canadian Love Map or email producer at podstarter.io. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map.